All right, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of God. Is that right? This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can say whatever you want. You can change that. I don't think it's copyrighted. You can do whatever you want on that. Hey guys, uh, if you're not if you're not uh, if you're new to Hope, this is not usually what we meet. This is uh, different. We meet across the way, um, but I'm loving this. I like the new look. I'm excited for a lot of reasons tonight. One of the biggest reasons I'm excited is uh, Price is Right is a big part of my childhood. <clears throat> and Bob Barker, um, he always had the cord, even when even when the technology came in. He always kept the cord, and uh, I'm just also a little intimidated because I don't think I can handle this. Um, so we'll see if we can do it, but uh, it uh, gave me a lot of joy to think about that tonight. I will not say anything about come on down. I refuse to do that. If you don't know those jokes, I apologize. Um, and also, I feel sorry for you um, that that wasn't a part of your life. Okay, I'm going to pray now. Get back on track, maybe, hopefully, a little bit. Father, thank you for tonight. <clears throat> Thank you for this space that we get to come together simply to rejoice in you and to remember your good news, the good news of Jesus. Thank you so much for Daniel's testimony um, of how you have stirred his heart to share that good news because it it is awesome news. It's the best news in the world. And so um, I ask, Father, that you would um, remind our hearts for those of us tonight that need reminding and just what the good news is and um, how wonderful you are, um, how much bigger and better it is um, than we may have thought, how much more than we could have uh, hoped or imagined. Um, so I just ask that you would stir our hearts again. Um, and uh, for those of us um, who don't know the good news of Jesus, and may it come alive tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, that you would speak, that you would use my words. Um, and uh, in this, these scriptures, to bring your truth alive in this room tonight, that we wouldn't leave just checking off the box of Sunday service, but that we would meet with you tonight because you 
have made your dwelling place with us. Those who trust in Jesus, you have made us your dwelling place. Thank you for that. And I just ask for your blessings over tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Ephesians. Um, we just read it. Um, there is so much in here. Before I get into um, my chunk, 11 through 22, um, I just want to say, as I read through it again this week, um, my encouragement, and I will do this next week, I want to preach next week, my encouragement will be to take some time this week and read just the first two chapters a few times and just allow God to speak to you. Because if I've, as I've read it again, it's astounding, the promises, it's astounding, the good news that Paul is telling these Gentile believers, because he's writing a letter to Gentiles, these people that were not part of God's chosen people, Israel, and he's writing this letter to them, telling them who they are in Jesus and what they have. And there's some stuff that'll blow you away. If you want one example, and I won't, um, I'll just to go back to what Steve already covered, but one example is just the reality that when Paul prays for them, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, he, he asked them that it would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of them, ha- ha- knowledge of him, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, and he lists off some things. And one of the things he lists is in verse 18, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. That's God's riches in his inheritance, which is you. That's what he's saying is that we are his inheritance, his treasured possession. We're going to talk about that tonight. Um, I don't know if you walk around with that reality day to day, but that's pretty striking to me. And it's packed in there if you read it. So that'd be my encouragement. Take, take some several times, read through those first two chapters, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and, re- and realize the, the amazing reality that Paul is conveying and telling them, this is who you are, this is what you have. And then in chapter 2, he goes into, this is who you were, and this is who you are. And Steve talked about that last week, that you were dead in your trespasses, following the ruler of this world, Satan. You were separated from God, a child of wrath. And we just sang an awesome song. It's all from this, these chapters in this letter. But God, but God, because of his great mercy made them alive in Christ, seated with them in the heavenly places, objects of kindness and grace forever instead of wrath. And now God's workmanship, that word poema that Steve talked about, God's masterpiece, that in Christ we are his workmanship created to step into the good works he's prepared beforehand. So sometimes I think maybe either we've read these too many times or whatever the case may be, but it's I listened to Steve preaching and read through it myself. Um, it is that theme that we talked about more. It's more than we thought, more than we would imagine. And I hope that sinks in for us tonight as we go into these verses in chapter 2, verse 11. Because we're going to look at Paul again telling these Gentile believers, again, he's speaking to a group of Gentiles in this city of Ephesus. And he's telling them, again, who they were. Who they were. But now because of Jesus, because of what God did in the Messiah, in Jesus, who they are now. So, if you don't mind, getting back to chapter 2, verse 11. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time 
you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, and which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's not super encouraging. This is who you were. He lays it out. Here was your reality. Because you weren't part of the promised people of Israel, this is who you were. It is, I think, hard for us to understand the divide of Jew and Gentile in our day. Most of us in this room, probably 100% of us are Gentiles, aren't part of the Jewish people. And so it's hard for us to understand what a distinction there was when Paul was writing to these Ephesian believers, these Gentile believers, how segregated, how divided they were um, at that time. The, the, the closest thing I can relate to this in my own life is that I have an Android phone. And when that green bubble pops up in that group message, I've never been so alienated. Uh, the word hostility comes to mind. Um, I, I feel so rejected and uh, pushed away. Um, and so that, that has helped me understand. Um, but seriously, I don't want to make light. In our current day and age, in our country, um, there have been real incredible divisions based on race, based on ethnicity, um, divisions that have taken place um, in separating people from one another. And so those things are real, and that is, our, is a history of our country. But even then, it's still hard to understand God's chosen people, the chosen people of God, and how much that got into their sinful nature and separated them from the Gentile people. Because we're not just talking about Paul talking about two people groups among many reconciled to one another. He's talking about there's one people group, God's chosen ones, and everybody else. This is all the people groups of the world. It's God's chosen ones, Israelites, and then everybody else. And this is what he's saying when he says they are alienated, they are separated. And now we get the first section of chapter 2. It says you are separated from God, dead in your trespasses, but God, because of his rich mercy and love. And when we move to verse 13, Paul lays out who they were. And then we have another but. But now. But now. In verse 13, you look at that. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, this divide was mutual. The Gentiles knew that they couldn't step into the area of the temple. They knew they couldn't step into another Israelite's house because it would be defiled. So this separation became very distinct, very exaggerated. And what happened also is that got something that God meant for good got twisted by the Israelite's sinful nature caused even more division and segregation. Because we have to understand why God chose them and why God set them apart. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, God says to Abraham when he starts the nation of Israel, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to make you turn one time to another place in Scripture. That's Exodus 19. Move with me to Exodus 19. This will be the last time, and then I'll make you come back to Ephesians 2. So again, this, this divide was so distinct. The Gentiles knew they weren't a part of God's promised people. They knew they were excluded, as Paul says. They were alienated, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And we can see in Exodus 19, verse 4 through 6, if you look at this, this is when God on Mount Sinai is about to give the Ten Commandments, establish his covenant with the people of Israel after he had taken them out of Egypt. And listen to what he says about the Israelite people. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and, and brought you out, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Listen to this quote from um, the people of the Bible Project. Consider the importance of the phrase kingdom of priests. The role of a priest is to mediate or to restore the relationship between two parties. In this example, who are the two parties? The only characters in the story are Yahweh and the nations. So Israel's role is to reconcile all the nations to Yahweh. Again, God chooses out of the many, one, that the many would be blessed. So God is saying to the Israelites, I'm setting you apart so that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And then you're my chosen people, a a kingdom of priests to represent me to the world. That you're my set-apart people. Holy just means set-apart. You're my set-apart people to represent to the world what God looks like and what his kingdom looks like. What happens when God, Yahweh, the I am that I am, what happens when he's in charge? Spoiler alert, it's love, it's justice, it's righteousness, it's peace. But unfortunately... Israel could not actually live out that identity as God's set-apart image into the world because of their sinful nature. And so this is a, a, a comment from theologian John Stott. We need to remember that in calling Abraham, he promised through his posterity to bless all the earth's family. And in choosing Israel, he intended her to become a light to the nations. The tragedy is that Israel forgot her vocation, twisted her privilege into favoritism, and ended by heartily despising, even detesting, the heathens as dogs. And we'll see next week that eternally it was always God's plan to bring one new people together and through Israel to bless all nations and to open the door that all people could know God and live with him forever. And so God's chosen people, because of their sin, twisted that chosenness to then make great distinctions in their life and to separate the Gentiles. And so when we move into verse 13, we see this amazing shift 
And this would have been radical for the people that he was writing to, but this amazing shift. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. So in this section, we're going to see you have the alienated humanity, two people groups, all the people groups of the world, the unchosen ones and everybody else. And then you're going to see a reconciling Messiah and a new humanity. An alienated humanity, a reconciling Messiah, and a new humanity. This was always God's plan from the beginning. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He himself, Jesus, Messiah, he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus breaks in and he brings two people that could not have had less in common and he brings them together into one new people. And what's amazing about this, um, verse 14, is Paul uses this phrase, he's broken down in his flesh through his death, the dividing wall of hostility. Um, in Jesus' day in the temple, I won't go into all the details, but in the temple, they had created separate segregations that didn't originally exist um, in the scriptures, and they had a, a place for the Jews, the priests, Jewish men, Jewish women, and then you would step down and go down some stairs, and there was a big court, and then there was a, a fence, a wall around the area that was the court for the Gentiles. It was very clear the Gentiles weren't allowed to come any closer. And this is something they instituted um, that God didn't ask them to do, but they put it in, in place so the Jews wouldn't come close. Um, in 1800s, 1900s, there was an excavation and it that revealed signs that were on this fence um, that was in the, in the temple area. And this is what one of the, um, in Greek, this is what one of the, the signs said, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's pretty clear. I don't know, I don't know, kind of sugar-coated a little bit. They're right, right to the point. This means death. So again, for those who are not God's chosen people, it was very clear to them they did not have access to the God of Israel. They did not have access. And yet, it says Jesus in his flesh tore down that wall. He tore down that wall so that there would be no division, that there would be no distinction, there would be no birthright or the right family you were to be born into to be welcomed into the family of God. What's interesting is most likely, Paul, he is writing this letter to Ephesians from prison. He's most likely in prison because he was accused, and this is Acts, in Acts 19 and 20, he was accused of taking a Gentile past that fence. Now, he didn't do that, but he was accused of that. And so it would have been very clear to the Ephesians what they were talking about because there was a riot in Ephesus because of it. So very interesting as he's writing this and making that distinction. And we move into... Verse 15, so we look at how did he reconcile these two people? Because 
at the heart of the gospel in, in the first part of chapter 2, we see we are reconciled to God. We are forgiven of our sins and we have to be forgiven of our sins. But it's not just reconciliation of individuals to God. And Steve's an amazing job. It's, it's people to people. It's horizontal. It's us to God, but it's horizontal. It's together to God. Reconciliation of, of individuals into one new people for to be God's people and to be his dwelling place. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, so verse 15, how did he do that? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. By abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances. And this can be a little bit tricky, honestly, of how Jesus did this. Because we could look at this and saying that he abolished the law, but we have a problem when we look at that because we see Jesus in Matthew 5. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So what many um, commentators believe is that this does have to do with different um, ordinances that the Jewish people had in place. So that this is the distinction that you have to follow these, um, these ritual practices. Uh, and we can see that in Galatians 4.9, Paul says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He calls, Paul calls them the, the elementary principles of the world. Do not taste, do not touch. Following new moons and, and observing certain days, like this is what it means to be accepted by God. Paul is trying to tear that down and saying it's faith in Jesus. It's reliance, it's trust in Jesus alone. And so these things that the Gentiles didn't know how to do and couldn't put in place, they were taken down and replaced by an open invitation to be God's people through faith in Jesus. But even more than that, we see, it's what's interesting is in this verse, that word abolish, um, in the Greek it's, it's better, uh, maybe a better interpretation is to remove one, one definition is to deprive of force, influence, or power. So to take away the power of the law and commandments. To help us with that, in, in Romans 7, Paul says this, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear the fruit of death. But now we were released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Paul went on to say, the law isn't evil. The law is not bad. In fact, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. And the law is summed up in this, that you love God with all that you've got, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, that's not going away. That's not going away. In fact, that's the future. That's new heavens and new earth. That's the kingdom of God. That is us as God's people representing to the world what God is like. To love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's just saying the law revealed to Israel they couldn't do it. They didn't have the power. Their sinful nature, the, the, the law revealed their sinful nature. The law revealed the power of sin at work in them. And Jesus came to destroy that power of sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Ezekiel, in a prophecy about what God would do when the Messiah came, is I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So now Paul is saying, we serve in the new way of the spirit, not trying to follow these laws and commands without the power to actually love God and love others. Jesus stepped in says, come to me. And through faith in Christ, we are empowered by the spirit to live as God's representatives on earth. It's no longer the ordinances that were put in place when God established Israel. It's no longer that. It's now Jesus, and he breaks down that wall. So I know that can be a lot to put in, but I think it's important to detail how Jesus is doing this and how he is reconciling this, because Israel's trust were in obeying those ordinances and keeping them perfectly. But in that, they revealed they couldn't love God through that. And so, again, how does he do it? Verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. So in Jesus' death, he takes away the separation that we would have to God. He takes our place. He takes the punishment of sin. And he gives us instead his righteousness. And he makes us right and clean before God. But what's also interesting is when Jesus was put to death, Think back to who put him to death. Who were the players that put him to death? You had the Jewish authorities. You had the Israelite people demanding his death. And then you had the Roman Gentiles who executed those commands. So you had the centurions killing Jesus and you had the Jewish authorities now finding a newfound friendship and killing the Messiah. And in what only God can do, and only his wisdom, and in his beautiful plan, Jesus himself allowed the hostility of Jew and Gentile to come on him on the cross. Both, both the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities put him to death. And in that act, he took on that sin and made a pathway for both people to become one in him by him laying down his own life. So in that act of self-giving love, he opened the pathway not just for reconciliation between God and man, but reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, so that there would be no distinction. Because both were guilty of the death of the, of the Savior of the world. But in that death, he creates a pathway for unity, so that now God creates one new people, a new humanity, was his intention of, of all along. And I just want to say that for us, as an application point for Hope Church, I believe still that cross-shaped life still kills the hostility between us. Because it's not just Jew and Gentile. As Paul talks about in other places in Scripture, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring 
heirs according to their promise. That doesn't take away the distinction of your culture or your background or where you came from. You still remain uniquely you and your background. But through what Jesus did, there is no personality difference. There is no personal preference. There's no background, socioeconomic, no racial, no age. Only in Jesus' people do we have this amazing diversity of different people all united under the one thing, which is Jesus' loving rule, King Jesus' loving rule. And what's interesting is our, our culture, who is without God, can love this idea of all inclusion. But in that message, that message ends in inclusion because you are your own God. And whatever you say goes. But that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you have been bought with a price. You are not your own but you have been bought with a price. And we see Jesus tearing down this wall at great price to himself and at great price to the Father. And so that is what unites us. Jesus is loving, self-giving love. And I think also that is what continues to kill the hostility between us because we're all from different places and different backgrounds. And what continues to kill that hostility is we take on the attitude and the heart of our Savior who laid down his life to reconcile the world to God and to each other. There's a um, there's an analogy that I I enjoy from the reformer Martin Luther. I enjoy it because it's very old fashioned. It's not things that I see on the day to day, and I also learn a few new things from this analogy. And I'd like to read it to you. And at the end, um, I think it'll get the point across. It involves two goats. How are we doing so far? When two goats meet upon a narrow bridge over deep water, how did they behave? Neither of them can turn back. Neither can pass the other because the bridge is too narrow. So here I learned a new thing, that goats don't have reverse. They're just stuck staring at each other. Can't go backwards, apparently. Um, I don't know if that's true, but Martin Luther said it's true, so I'm going to go with it. If they should ram one another, they might both fall into water and be drowned. Nature then has taught them that if one lays down and permits the other to go over him, both remain unhurt. Even so, God's people should rather endure to be trod upon than to fall into debate and discord with one another. Here he's talking about the attitude of Jesus. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about letting things go that should be um, brought before discipline, or we're not talking about not having hard conversations and healing hurts. We're talking about the attitude of Christ who laid down his life that we would be reconciled. And so we as God's people take on that same self-giving attitude. There is no greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for a friend. And so as we together as a community continue to take on that same attitude, it still continues to kill the hostility. And as Jesus said, by this the whole world will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. It's by that love, it's by that attitude that we take on towards one another that the world can look and say, there's something to this Jesus. And so in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. He levels the playing field. It doesn't matter if you were born into the right family, if you have a Christian testimony, if you have 
every, everything lined up in your favor to be a Christian. It doesn't matter. He preached peace to those who were near, to the Israelites, to those who were far off. It's the same message of peace. And then we get to verse 18, which um, I think is what unites us most perfectly in this beautiful passage. Verse 18, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, excuse me, for through him we both, for through Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. For through Jesus, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. What truly unites us is we're all in the same family. We all have the same Father. We all have the same access to the Father. And I I don't know a better analogy. If you have kids, this is going to be pretty clear to you. My kids know that they have access to me. They know that they have access to their parents. Even when we don't want them to have access to us, they have access to us. Even when my wife and I are in deep conversation and our five-year-old barges in and comes straight up like we're not talking and asks for what she needs, she has access and she knows it. And I think if we walked out of here with nothing other than a deeper reality that all of us that put our faith in Jesus have access to the Father, we will leave here and be different people. We're going to pray about that before we end tonight. That unites us. Same Father. Through Jesus, one Spirit, same Father. This is really good news, and it's better than we thought. So then, verse 19. I should move on. Have you all seen that viral video? Uh, the guy on the CNN, um, he's, I think it was probably during, during, the, uh, during COVID, where he's doing this interview about something important and boring, like steel prices in China. And he's doing this very important, uh, boring interview. And it's in, in his office at home, and it's, you can tell his webcam. And in the back corner, you see this door just barge open. And his, like, four-year-old daughter just comes in and just cries <laughs> in. If you haven't seen it, just, just Google it. You'll see it. And it's just amazing to me because it doesn't matter how important his little meeting was. His four-year-old daughter had access to that room. And uh, it just made me laugh and it made me think about this as I was reading this. So please look that up. It'll be a spiritual experience for you. Um, So verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So now we see this new humanity. We see alienated humanity, Israelites and everybody else. We see Jesus, the reconciled Messiah, come breakthrough by self-giving blood, his blood, his flesh torn, his self-giving love, tears down that wall of hostility and creates one new people. And now we see this one new humanity. And what do we see? We see citizens of the kingdom of God, members of his family, 
in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul uses these analogies, and he's just all over the place with them, but he's trying to get the point across. He says that you are fellow citizens. You're members of the household of God. And you are a holy temple in the Lord. Paul is a Pharisee. Paul knew the Old Testament. He probably memorized most of the Old Testament. He understood what it was for people to have access to God, to be the temple. There were all these rituals, all these things put into place when God established the tabernacle and the temple. And he is now boldly saying that we, through Christ, all together are his dwelling place. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This was, a, this was proclaimed by the apostles and the prophets, but Christ Jesus is the foundation. That without him and without him establishing this, we have no access to God. He is the way to the Father. And there is no other way. But because of Jesus, Paul makes an astounding claim that we together in this room, no matter our backgrounds, no matter where we came from, no matter our story, faith in Jesus, we are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. We're going to move into a new building, hopefully soon, in a few months, later in this summer, and we're excited about being in our own building for a million different reasons. But God's building is not that building across the street in Jones Road. God's building is in this room, and it's you guys. It's when we meet in our houses and community groups. It's your discipleship group tomorrow morning. It's us gathered together, the dwelling place of God, heaven on earth. We are outposts of heaven. And the end of the story, one day, is Revelation 21.3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That has already started. And it won't be in its, until its fullness until Jesus comes again. But I think a huge thing that God wants us to take away, and wants us to, as we go through this Ephesians um, study, is to believe who we are. To believe what the Bible says about who we are as God's people in Christ. To understand we have access to the Father the creator of all things. And we are the place where he has chosen to put his presence. The more we pursue that, believe that, run after that, fight against the lies of the enemy, look to scripture, believe the promises, the more we will see God do everything we've ever wanted him and more. Because we're going to go into that in chapter 3. You're going to do more than we can ever hope or imagine is God's plan and his desire. And I think a lot of times... We, we, we are happy to settle for a lot less than what God wants for us. And I think in this, and as, as, as um, Steve has done an amazing job, God is speaking that there is more. And he wants to show it to us. I'm going to ask Daniel to come up and uh, music team to come up. Um, tonight, as we wrap up, I know there's a, a lot of information, and it's really important to understand what God is doing in the gospel um, very much is an individual reconciliation of ourselves to God. But it's not just that. 
It's creating for himself, for God's glory, one new people, one new humanity, who live by the power of the Spirit through faith in Jesus. And so our community and our unity is incredibly important to God because it is what displays his glory on this earth here and now. And it is the future. Is God with his people. Um, and tonight, as we, we finish, I do want to go back to um, verse 18. So, you don't mind just with your eyes looking at that verse again for me. For through Jesus, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. And as I was praying through this message, um, I felt like God highlight that verse. And I just want to spend some time praying over that. And what my ask to you is, is to sit and, and ask the Lord, what, what do you need to come to the Father for? You, the, the beauty of who our Father is, is is more than we have time to get through. But he wants you to know that you have access to him. And he wants you to come to him. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I'm still going to ask you to focus um, as, I, as I talk about some things here. We're going to go and move into a song. But before we do that, I, I don't want you to leave here. I don't want you to move to the next thing right now. Whatever that next thing is when you leave this Sanctuary. I don't want you to move to that. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to ask God to help you to focus um, because I think he wants you to come to him, your father. I think he wants you to come to him tonight. And so we're going to respond to that. So ask him to help you to listen and not move on to the next thing. just want to say, if, if you don't know God tonight, if you are not a part of the people of God, I just want to say that Jesus is opening his arms. It says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There is nothing that will keep you from the Father except not coming to Jesus. So if you don't know him, I just invite you to take that step. There's going to be prayer partners. In fact, the prayer partners, um, you can come up um, now whenever you want. We're going to be at the corners of the room on the sides um, for anyone that wants to pray after we're done. If you don't know this loving father, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he has done everything to tear down every wall and that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you need to come to the Father for comfort tonight, your Father is the God of all comfort. If you need forgiveness tonight, your Father is the type of father who loves to forgive. Isaiah 55 says, let the wicked forsake their way, the unrighteous their thoughts. 
let them return to the Lord so that he might have compassion on them, for he will abundantly pardon them. Our Father is a God who abundantly pardons. So if you need forgiveness tonight, I invite you to come to the Father because you have access to him. If you need protection tonight, your Father is a refuge, a strong tower. He's a hiding place. If you need rest, if you're just tired, your Father is the one who created and commanded rest. He put it in the Ten Commandments. He made Sabbath a Ten Commandment because he loves rest and he himself rested. So if you're tired, your Father knows about rest and he wants you to rest. Jesus said, everyone who's weary and heavy laden come to me, I'll show you rest. If you're burdened with the seriousness of life, your father is the one who created play. I don't know if you've ever seen a child or been around a kid. He wants you to learn to celebrate. If you need healing tonight, your God is a healing God. If you need physical healing, he wants you to come to him. You have access. If you need emotional healing, he wants to do that. If you need strength and you feel so weak, he's the God who gives strength to the powerless. He gives strength to the powerless. I'm going to say, don't leave tonight without bringing these things to Him. And if you need to get prayer with someone, don't leave without doing that. And again, if you don't know God, and you're tired of trying to make your life work without God, He's ready to receive you. all these things, if we feel like we're making it about ourselves when it's about God's glory, it is about God's glory. And I love John Piper has a quote that says, the giver gets the glory. God wants to lavish us with what we need so that he may be glorified. And not only that, it continues through us to be a blessing to those around us. As if we need comfort, he's the God of all comfort so that we may comfort those around us who need that same comfort we've received from our Father. In writing this letter, Paul wanted these believers to know who they were, to understand what they had in Christ, and I believe our Father, our God, and our Lord Jesus wants us in this room to again receive with a fresh heart and fresh eyes 
the reality that we stand in as God's people in Jesus.